Um, okay, are you ready to pull our first Christmas cracker, Ruby? I'm ready. Here we go. Here we go. Pull. <laughs> Way. Awesome. <laughs> I think I think that counts as me winning that one. So I'm gonna. Who has uh, a joke? Okay, there yeah. it is. Okay. All right. Uh, ready. Ready for. How do you kill a circus? I don't know. How do you kill a circus? You go for the jugular. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Not My Monkeys. If you're here, it either means that you love circus and you can't wait to hear about the helpful hints and no-nonsense talk of the art form that you adore, or you have no idea about circus and you want to get a head start seeing as your grandma's bought you those Cirque du Soleil tickets for Christmas. Either way, you're in the right place. We're here to hold up the edge of the big top canvas and let you wiggle inside. We'll be revealing things to you that you didn't even know about this absolutely bonkers and beautiful world. It's circus. Welcome to episode 5 of Not My Monkeys. This is our holiday special episode. Whether you're celebrating Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Solstice, capitalism or anything in between, we have got the episode for you. Hooray! And me and Ruby are celebrating together in all our splendid seasonal finery. As we always do. As we always do at this time of year. Head to toe in jingle bells. Oh, chestnuts roasting on our open fire. Reindeer on the roof. (laughs) That kind of thing. You've got an absolutely fantastic Christmas jumper on, Ruby. You look in one way glamorous and in another way ridiculous. And I think that's the perfect combination (laughs) of any Christmas jumper. Well, you, I think, win it with the Christmas tree that you have got on your head. Oh, Oh, you noticed? <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good. Good effort there. <laughs> I thought, hey, why not? Tis the season. <laughs> so we've hopefully created a wonderful atmosphere for you guys at home. We know that because of COVID, lots of you won't be getting to spend this time with the people that you'd like to. So instead, you get to spend it with us. Aren't you lucky? Hooray! <laughs> so, so lucky. We will have some fabulous cracker jokes for you later on. So, a quick update from us. What have we been up to since our last episode? I'll tell you what. I did an interview with Kate Kavanagh. That's on our Instagram Live. Um, So we did it a few weeks ago, but you can still watch it. You can catch up. And uh, if you want to have closed captioning on it, then just head to the YouTube and you'll find the video there as well. Me and Kate talked about journalism, about being a circus critic, about her website, The Circus Diaries, and a bunch of other things that I think are very, very interesting, especially if you're into the whole writing about circus kind of thing. So check it out. Yeah, it was a great chat. And we also had another one with just the two of us on Instagram Live as well, um, where we talked about circus books and magazines kind of the ones Mm. that we've got at home and we had a bit of a nerd out about circus books rosie has a much bigger collection than me it's not a competition but you win (laughs) always um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's great if you 
want to read more about circus there's good ideas and good ideas for gifts might be a bit late for this year but also there's never a bad time of year to buy gifts so mm-hmm. that takes us on to what this episode's about mm-hmm. um who knows it's a winter holiday special we're talking about those seasonal celebrations those gift giving holidays and yeah that's that's our vague vague theme for today so yes <laughs> welcome to the holiday special what will we be talking about let me give you a rundown We'll be talking about um, circus people gift giving and various uh, variations on that. We'll be talking about the seasonal traditions within the circus, as well as an interview with Billy Alwyn, who is the co-founder of Cirque Bajou and Extraordinary Bodies. And those are two circus companies in the UK, Bristol here. We have some personal stories of our circus experiences at Christmas, as well as some jokes and tricks along the way. And now, on with, on the, with show. the show! Shall we pour another cracker, Ruby? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, okay ready. Oh, I hope I get a tiny plastic comb that I never use. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh-huh. You won. Let me just, I think let you me won. Just find Here you the go. Joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> put the hat on. Oh my gosh, yeah, okay. don't forget to put on these hats. I'm ready to deliver it. There's going to be so many paper hats around here when we're doing <laughs> what does What does it say? Why did the human cannibal leave the circus? I don't know, Ruby. Why did the human <laughs> cannonball leave the circus? Because they got fired. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, such a Christmas cracker joke, that one. It's that time of the year. When people buy gifts and things. Oh, (laughs) and if you know somebody who likes the circus or if you are a circus person and you love all things to do with perhaps your circus skill or just the wonderful world of circus, what are some kind of gifts that you could get people? Ruby, what what have you got? What have you received as someone who likes the circus? (laughs) Well... I definitely always get cards with some kind of circusy theme, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm cool with that, you know. That's very cute. That that takes some searching for as well, you know, because it's not easy to find a card with circus on. And the best the best gift probably that I've ever received was when my parents got me a unicycle for Christmas, which was very cool. I think I didn't even ask for it. I think they were just like, "We know what this girl needs, and she needs a unicycle." Oh um, wow. And it was, it was, yeah, it was hard at first. Steep learning curve. You like, I wore all of the pads and a helmet and was being like propped up by my parents and some chairs and still, still falling all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it took a while, but eventually I was making breakfast on my unicycle and yeah, it was probably the best gift I've got. What about you? Do you get circusy presents at all? You know what? I think maybe we're a bit the same. People often also, I think, see cards or pictures or anything you know maybe involved with the circus and think ah yes perfect I know just the person for this and they are correct (laughs) because I love it and anything with anything sexy on I'm like hooray an image of something that I like (laughs) (laughs) I imagine if you really liked um you know kittens and someone got you a card with kittens on it's just it makes your day so it's exactly the same but with circus for me especially if it's you know juggling or anything like that I'm very very into it although I will say 
one of the things um if is and this is more as an adult i suppose i'm speaking of rather than um like when i was younger but as a as an older person telling people that you work with or like relatives that you juggle or that juggling is part of your job or that you do it loads and you like train every week and stuff um suddenly you end up being gifted like sets of three juggling balls (laughs) (laughs) they're just like oh I, you say you juggle well here's three juggling balls and there's always that moment when you open them and then you kind of have to go like oh look oh they work like oh that's very good <laughs> like a my first juggling kit a little bit yeah like a, a kind of beginner's juggling thing it's like you know what guys actually the one thing that i definitely do have as a juggler uh is uh, some juggling balls and the ability to juggle so i don't actually need a book that teaches you how to juggle <laughs> <laughs> And they're probably like the more expensive proper kind than I... than the ones that you've gifted me. But it's the thought that counts, huh? That's true. <laughs> and, and yeah, often professionals do have the some people might not know this, but there are like, you know, professional brands that make equipment for circus. So there is like, you know, there's a certain level of like these are children's toys that you could buy in a shop for a few pounds. And then, oh, these are the things that can withstand or are used for like uh the performance level of work yeah so uh or sometimes people buy you like three juggling balls that are all sprouts or christmas puddings i feel like my mum gets me something different <laughs> um as a juggling set all the time so that's a really sweet uh thing as well i mean i have seen i feel like you maybe are a bit of a fan of the memorabilia because <laughs> i've seen that you've had some pretty great circus christmas decorations on your tree oh yeah yeah well yeah i've got any time i see one i like to get one and sometimes people have like you know people can make them as well so that's also really sweet i recommend doing that because you know you've got your very own special little circus themed christmas decoration so give that a whirl people get get those needle felting skills out the cupboard um yeah i got like we'll put some pictures on our social media so you guys can check them out if you want to Um, But I've got some circus-themed Christmas decorations uh, on my tree. Uh, Little jugglers, little seals balancing, little, um, you know, you can can get all kinds of cute little things nowadays for your tree. I feel like I need to up my decoration game. You know, I was thinking uh, when The Greatest Showman came out as a film, the Christmas straight after that, there was... Uh, that is where I got a lot of my Christmas themed decorations uh, in the there seemed to be a little bit of an influx of people wanting an acrobat uh, okay. or a yeah. ringmaster. Those were like the two things that you could see everywhere, like a cute little mouse, a little Christmas mouse holding some holly, but also dressed as a ringmaster. Like, what is this combination of three weird things? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a blessing and a curse, that film, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. And it's also great and i love it <laughs> but i will never tell anyone that <laughs> anyway you know what enough about the circus decorations um let's talk more about actual circus traditions do you have any circus links to christmas in your life yeah so my family usually so i grew up in brighton and there's usually a touring mm-hmm. circus show that will come at Christmas, changes every year, and it's just like a fun thing to do on Boxing Day or something with the whole family. So we usually go and see a show. Yeah. Like I remember the year before I started circus school, Pirates of the Carabina, their show, Flown, was on, and we went and saw that. And that was really good because it kind mm-hmm. of, it was a way for me to kind of show some parts of my family, like what kind of circus I wanted to do. You know, if you haven't really seen much other than traditional circus um, and they couldn't really imagine me doing that kind of thing. It was then nice for them to see a contemporary circus show and be like, ah, okay, 
I get it now. So that's really nice. But obviously not this year. This year I'm not going to be with my family. So we won't get to do that. And obviously there are no live shows, but it'll come back. Hopefully. <laughs> and the, But there are shows being shown online over Christmas. That's true. And you can even watch it on Christmas Day, which you wouldn't normally be able to do. So that's a nice tradition you could start with your family if you wanted. That's very true. What about you? Have you got any like circus Christmassy or holiday traditions? You know, not really so much. Um, we would often go to Blackpool Tower. They have a kind of Christmassy... They have like a panto-themed Christmas show for only a certain set of the months because those guys are a permanent circus building that have circus every day. Uh, so they're okay. always putting on shows. And for the Christmas months, sometimes it's a bit Jack and Beanstalky or, um, <laughs> you know, like Cinderella-y, but they still are just like a ringmaster introducing act. So it's it's kind of a really good combo. And I do love panto just as much... Uh, uh, as circus i think so it's a lot of fun i often go see a panto as well and they bring in things like circus magic trapeze a lot of like dancing with silks and things as well like a lot of crossover between panto and circus and i'm talking a lot about panto by, right now but i'm not sure if everyone will even really know what it is i'm talking about is is panto kind of like a british thing really do you think it is quite a british thing yeah i actually i looked it up earlier and oh, yeah. it actually originated from Commedia dell'arte which was Italian street theatre in the 16th century ah. uh, and then it wasn't till the Victorian era that it became sort of a very Christmas affair um, and then it became more sort of related mm -hmm. to kind of popular stories and topical content kind of the stuff you'd see more today later on mm. but yeah I think it is a relatively British tradition but you can see how it has crossover in history mm -hmm. with with circus and with other bits of theatre and stuff like that. Totally. In fact, reading about like old circuses and some of the stories they used to put on and how they would do it, like tell a story over an evening, but break it up with an interval and also some acts or someone who would come out and tell a few jokes for five minutes or, you know, then the clowns would come in the middle of the story and just give you a little bit of a break and a, a teaser of something else that you could be sort of like distracted by. And it does make me think like, that sounds so much more like Panto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's like a it's the same kind of thing of like, let's all go see the panto. Let's all go see the circus. It's that kind of family trip out to a like family friendly entertainment. You know, the holidays is <laughs> probably the time when people go do that. So, yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, mm. in the not this year, but in the next few years, that could be something that people really uh, are drawn to some live entertainment, be it circus or panto or ah, live entertainment. Oh, those were the days, the live entertainment days. <laughs> if you're listening to this in your bunker and you're wondering, what do they mean when they say live entertainment? Well, it was... <laughs> Before the event, we had live entertainment. Before the uprising of the ants and the aliens came, which is probably what's going to happen next and all that stuff. <laughs> hey, Rosie, should we pull a cracker? That's a good idea. Okay, I do love pulling crackers. Are we ready? Okay, Full! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so dramatic oh, this is why okay. you don't do christmas with drama students <laughs> are we ready you ready for the joke I'm this so one ready. i think might actually be quite a good one <laughs> now that i've read it to myself <laughs> okay you're building it up now <laughs> i built it up too much ready oh hey ruby what's the hardest part of replacing a famous clown i don't know what is the hardest part of replacing a famous clown <laughs> The big shoes to fill. <laughs> I think uh, I get it. Real classic humour. I think I get it. 
So this is our interview for our holidays winter special. And as our treat today, we have Billy Elwin chatting to us. Billy is the co-founder and artistic director for Cirque Bijou, which is a contemporary circus company that puts on a big range of performances, often sort of larger scale, big community projects, big spectacle things. And he's also the co-founder and artistic director of Extraordinary Bodies, which is another circus company and is a partnership between Cirque Bijou and Diverse City and I would say is at the forefront of creating diverse and inclusive circus shows in the UK, uh, again, sort of on a larger scale. Um, so thanks for talking to us today. How was that introduction? Did I miss anything out? No, that was perfect. Absolutely perfect, Ruby. Good. So um, that was obviously a bit about what you're doing now, but can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the world of circus and sort of your journey up to there? Okay. Um, God, that's going back a long time. So... <laughs> I guess I was involved, I was always involved in theatre at school and then when I, just before I I went to college, I got together with a bunch of friends, um, one of them who had an old 1964 Bristol Gardner bus, it was his dad's basically, and we borrowed it and we did ask <laughs> and we turned it into a theatre, we turned all the seats around and we were only like 18, 19, so I don't know who was legally allowed to drive, but one of us was. We drove it up to Edinburgh Festival. Oh, that's great. The intention was that we were going to put on plays and shows and stuff. We had a bunch of actors with us. When they got up there and realised how good everybody else was, they kind of basically abandoned us. So it was me, a few mates. We were kind of like technicians, really, I guess, or we were just, we didn't know what a producer, we didn't know any of the terms at that point. We were just putting it on. Right. So we decided to invite a bunch of street theatre performers onto the bus and we plugged it into different venues and toured around different venues um, sometimes we asked sometimes we didn't <laughs> and um, we invited a bunch of buskers on and we put on cabarets in the back of the bus and we, we had no idea what we were doing oh, great. but it was brilliant it was a laugh I was I mean you know I've done some lots of things since then and that was probably 35 years ago and I still remember it really really well one of the most uh, the, the most relaxed and fun things because there was no pressure on us we were busking it, we were making it up. In fact, the journey up there and back again was as fun as the mm. putting it on. It was just one bonkers adventure. <laughs> and I just got in street theatre. I realised what an amazing thing street theatre was. And mm. I came back, worked with a bunch of uh, street performers, wrote a little street show, got put on in a Soho street festival. And then also, through another mate, started working at Glastonbury on the outdoor circus and theatre stage. And at that point, it was it was literally a bunch of pallets in a field, in a small field on the back end of Glastonbury Festival. You know, I was just helping out and slowly, and I did that for 20 years, in fact. I worked, you know, running, we ended up running that, that stage with a bunch of other people and um, met a lot of street performers. I wasn't performing at that time, but I got to see a lot of circus and street performers. And But it was also at the time when new circus, not contemporary circus, when new circus was a word, uh, was the first start of sort of non-animal circus in Britain and I, got, I was just really amazed by it and I thought okay that is what I want to do yeah so I put together a little because I was running the stage I thought okay I'll put on we'll put on a little show uh, and the, the I can't remember who was meant to whoever was meant to be doing trapeze at the time couldn't do it for some reason I ended up doing it <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing 
I was a climber. <laughs> Had you been on aerial equipment before? <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, probably, but ba- barely. <laughs> and honestly, Ruby, at that point, health and safety wasn't big uh, on the agenda and training wasn't big. So you just improvised. <laughs> I thought, oh, OK, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Anyway, I did it. And I, and I, I dislocated my thumb halfway through oh, and no. I thought, and I carried on and I thought, OK, I'm either never going to do this again or I'm going to take it seriously. I ended up... Um, Cast for the next three years with um, Jackie Williams at that point. Jack became Jackie Wellborn, who was working up at Circa Media. Um, in fact, that's who I worked with at Glastonbury on the stage. And Jackie mm. was, who was ever anybody's out there who's ever worked with Jackie, she was a t- tough taskmaster. You know, she came from the traditional way of teaching of, of teaching aerial. It was definitely more stick than carrot. Was that a bit of a shock to the system at the time? No, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the physical side. I loved the physical side. And that's what I really enjoyed. And I trained three, three, four times a week training with Jackie for three years, got to a level I was happy with and, and, you know, ended up working as a doubles trapeze, part of doubles trapeze routine, swinging trapeze, did some flying with Mike. And I just became, you know, and then for the next 15 years did aerial performance. Yeah. So that's how I got into it, you know, by almost by accident, but partly through the love of of seeing street theatre and circus at Glastonbury and getting into street theatre out of, you know, seeing theatre at school, but really realising what I wanted to do was, was this more anarchic form of theatre outdoors. You know, at that point, I was sort of doing various things, but working in a new circus world with Bra Razu and these are, people, you know, companies that sort of really, I guess, pioneered new circus at that point yeah um, I was still very young I can't say I pioneered it but you know I was working with those with those people some amazing people what um what would you say is the I was going to say for people that might not know but even for me what what would you say is the difference between sort of new circus and contemporary circus um well I at that point circus was quite political mm-hmm. I um I'm not saying there isn't political circus now, but it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't so influenced by dance and it wasn't so influenced by the form and what it looks like. It was more about what it said and what it did. You know, it came out of, I suppose it was inspired by companies like Circus Oz, who, you know, at the end of the 70s, Circus Oz was really political, very kind of feminist, was was like really pioneering. You know, it was at that time, you know, same kind of time as our chaos. So... It was more political, I would say, yeah. you know, and had something to say and had more of an attitude in a way, but didn't have the professionalism. All of those kind of professional things we take for granted now were really just start, just starting, you know. So how did that then become Cirque Bajou and what Cirque Bajou is now? Well, Julian, Julian came part of Prometheus, which is a sort of outdoor circus, fire circus. We did a lot of fire and pyro for three or four years, I think. And then we both started to get a bit of work, commercial circus work, independently. And we sort of chatted about what we we're both doing and, and realised that actually we we're both doing similar things and that we're better, we're better off doing it, try and do it together. And we decided in 99 to start Cirque Bijou. So we were still trying to perform as well at that point. We weren't earning very much money at all. It took us quite a long time before we started being able to pay ourselves anything, really. Uh, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what would you say is your favourite thing you've done? That's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Favourite gig you've ever done, I guess. Well, it's always probably going to be the last one because that's the one that sticks in your mind. And 
I mean, I, I mean, the, the the project we did for the Olympics mm. was we're never probably going to repeat anything like that again. Um, where we where we met diversity and created extraordinary bodies. I mean, that that obviously yeah. is is probably going to be the favorite project that any of us have ever done, and it was amazing. And it could have that could have broken us completely because it was on such a massive scale, and um, we all felt the same. We just wanted to do more large scale shows because we we realized we could do it, and we we knew what we were doing and we could we felt comfortable doing it so yeah that was probably exciting i mean the show i've just done in february out in taiwan was amazing i love that one of my favorite shows i've made highwire show with chris balzini and jay kinder martin and you know one hundred sixty thousand people we performed to over however many 16 shows we didn't imagine that would be the last show we did this year no a bit, bit bittersweet that one <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit. I mean, but I mean, yeah, it's always probably the last one. We've done. I mean, many, many shows. I've, I've, you know, I think the thing is the shows, I think you, we move on very quickly from a show. Mm. What made that great or not great? Or, you know, we just sort of move on quite quickly. But actually the teams of people we put together are really special. You know, when you're working with a great team of artists, I mean, that, that's why I love Circus, to be honest, is for the bunch of people I work with. You know the process. I enjoy that as I as much as I do the final show because as you know, as you know, ninety percent of the work happens in the lead up behind. You know the audience don't see ninety percent; they only see ten percent or less than ten percent. Yeah. So if you don't enjoy the ninety percent, then you should be doing something else. You know. Yeah, that's very true. So you mentioned, um, yeah, that you didn't realise that was your sort of last gig of the year. Obviously, COVID has made a massive difference to big events and live events are you doing any adapted stuff during covid or what have you been up to over this sort of period we carried on with a project called kitchen circus which is a um really beautiful project with Noel west media uh center and traveling light in bristol which is basically making art i mean circus in a way but video film art animation in people's homes and kitchens so we did that we made a film with extraordinary bodies um the artists shot the film on their phones and that was amazing to make. That was a real learning curve, you know, directing and working with the artists and um, just being in a rehearsal room with a new show we're making with a new musical we're making with Extraordinary Bodies, which is really exciting. Oh, awesome. So, but actually doing stuff with an audience, um, I don't think since February we've done anything with a live audience. So um, we were planning on doing that. That was the plan. The, because we're having to fund it completely ourselves, the the risk, financial risk of it was just too great and then we had to pull it. Yeah. But it's it's cool the way people have adapted and we'll um we'll link videos to the films that you've you've talked about um under this episode. Ooh, let's pull another cracker. Nice. Ready? Great plan. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Here's I'll the let joke. you read this one. Go. So, two lions were eating a clown. One says to mm-hmm. the other, "Does this taste funny to you?" <laughs> Get it? Because it's a clown. <laughs> it's a clown they're eating, and uh, they're so funny, funny in one way, but eating Does something that taste tastes funny? bad is funny in another. Do you, yeah. do you get it? Do you get the joke? So this is our sort of winter holiday special. Obviously, in the UK, the the Christmas market is a massive thing. Um, obviously this year is a weird one but sort of generally uh, does the Christmas market massively affect the kind of work that you make? Uh, it used to a long time ago but it hasn't actually recently we haven't um, done a huge amount it's bizarre actually last year I think or the year before that 
um, Halloween was massive for us. Um, was the biggest weekend of the year. Right. <laughs> Have you ever had to be an elf on stilts or anything, anything like that for Christmas? Oh yeah, yes, I've done. I've been fired to Christmas <laughs> on stilts. I probably and a very skinny one actually, not a particularly believable one. <laughs> I don't know if I've still got my stilts. But yeah, G- yeah, Julie and I spent many years doing a lot of that work over Christmas. Mm. But you don't have to anymore. <laughs> well, we may have to. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's time to get the stilts out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? We may do. We may we may have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I'd love to. I've done a lot of work over over this this year with 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 artists. You know, trying to find funding, trying to support artists on funding, and trying to. But I know, I know the thing that everybody wants is work, and that's the thing I would love to say. I can see the sort of the light at the internet and say, yes, we're going to be able to go back and be able to offer a load of work to people. I mean, normally we would have been employing about three, 300, 350 artists a, a, a year, you know, and obviously that's 350 people that aren't going to be earning any money from us. Yeah. And that's massive. Wow. And we're really conscious of that. It's in all of our interests trying to get, we try, we, we really try and get these projects um, off the ground and that's our that's what we're doing daily you know talking about how how do we find other ways to make work and I'm not convinced about digital work because I think the main thing is the problem with it is find is finding ways to monetize it obviously people need to be paid and people need to be paid and want to be paid to work and that's for many reasons for mental health reasons as much as financial reasons yeah. people you know that's what people are good at and that's what people do best and people want to be doing what they do really well so I understand that's what we got to do as a company yes yeah do you think um, you were talking about sort of the way you started out in this kind of anarchic circus world? Do you feel like that's kind of come full circle and that's maybe where we need to go now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like from an artistic point of view, I definitely want to be more political. I mean, to a certain degree, you know, the work I make for Extraordinary Bodies has a political side to it. I mean, not in a with a large P, but there is, you know, the, the, the issues that we bring into that is is really important but i think definitely like the diy culture that circus came out of has has obviously that's been a big part of this year people have had to do it had to make it themselves i mean the exciting thing is that through our partnership with diverse city we've got we've we've got some money for a big top oh great when we have that that will be a massive resource for everybody and that will enable us to put on shows get have a bit more control of what we do it's like your bus but on a larger scale <laughs> it's like the bus exactly ruby is exactly like the bus on a larger scale and that is completely i hadn't actually made that connection but you're completely right ruby that is exactly what it's like that's <laughs> that's what we just thought you know we can't wait for the phone to ring yeah we have to make it happen yeah absolutely and the sad saddest thing for me is to see a lot of people i say well that's it for now for circus i've got to move on i can't stay in the industry i've got to go and do you know and i think we just want to make sure we don't lose loads of people because yeah. circus has got to such a brilliant level at this moment there's some mm. fantastic gill levels now and artists you know artists out there we don't want to lose people to the industry and that's that's the other thing we need to get it back it does seem now this year you know it seems god well you know is it crazy to be aiming to do those big shows but i in some ways think the impact of those big shows is amazing on audiences the show we did a show in sunderland um, called Portland, which is a wire show, high wire show from the banks of the Weir River up to the Weir Bridge. And we had about 20,000 people watching that in Sunderland. And after that, people were coming up to, to Chris and I and going, well, 
we've never had anything like that in Sunderland. Nobody's ever thought about doing anything like that. You've made Sunderland feel really proud and special. And people were in tears. Sometimes that big scale work can have a really important and big impact. It's not just about the big wow factor. It actually can really move people. I still absolutely love doing that work. I hope it doesn't completely go away. No, and I think it's great to take take it to areas that maybe wouldn't have that otherwise and involve the local community in it and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, well, that that is what we try and do with Surface You know, all that big scale work mm. is generally d- delivered with community involvement in some way, you know. That's why it's fantastic. You know, we're so privileged to do it, really. Yeah. So what is the favourite bit of circus you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I loved, um, I mean, there are lots of things, but I suppose it's the thing that stick in your head. I mean, you know, I saw the Metal Clown show of our chaos, which was amazing. But I also saw mm-hmm. a company called Lazar So, uh, flying company, amazing collective of flying artists that used, used to produce shows in this inflatable big top. Had a, I think it was up to about 30 to 40 metres up to the cupola. And it was a mechanical flying rig that would go from the floor and the band would be on top of the the truss as it rose up wow <laughs> 30 to 40 meters the band would play and underneath the, the the flies would slowly start swinging you'd watch the show you'd watch the show in 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 deck chairs which were, were kind of deck chairs which is why we started using deck chairs in harbour festival because it's a fantastic yeah. way to watch aerial performance and laser so just pushed flying in amazing beautiful beautiful flying that is one of my favorite mm. and i saw one of the first Cirque Soleil shows to ever come to this country and that pretty much blew me away less so later but the early Cirque show was bloody amazing yeah um, and with your work with extraordinary bodies and things do you have any advice for anyone sort of starting out in the circus company who wants to make their work a bit more inclusive or accessible of how you would sort of go about that well I mean the, the thing about extraordinary bodies it, it yeah it's it is about putting different people on stage but it's also about making circus about diff- making different types of circus. I mean, I wanted to just find, I mean, when I met Claire Hodgson, who's the, one of the directors of diversity for, in the Olympics, I just saw somebody that I could work with to sort of change the way circus is thought of and made. Yeah. Claire hadn't had much experience with circus before then, but Claire brought a different way of working and thinking about who should be on stage. And I learned a massive amount. Mm. And I guess what that's about is making just great circus. It's not necessarily about disability or non-disability or ability. It's just about making different circus. So yeah. it's also about storytelling. I mean, Extraordinary Bodies is about storytelling, um, making work with a sort of cast like Extraordinary Bodies of disabled and non-disabled and using BSL, audio description. It just opens up new ways of, of telling stories and making circus for me, you know. Yeah, it just adds another layer, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would say to anybody who wants to do that, honestly, I think I, I was scared at first, you know, asking the stupid questions. You've got to ask the stupid questions. It's the only way you're going to learn. You know, there are no stupid questions to ask about it. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of fear of sort of stepping into that world and thinking, oh, am I going to get this wrong? Am I going to say it's wrong? It, it Honestly, just got to do it. It's it's at a, a very early stages still. I would say that we're still really experimenting with strong bodies. We don't necessarily have the, all the answers and we're still learning and we want more people to do it, to, to learn with us and help us and develop it. So, yeah, if you're interested, come and talk to us for a start, but also just get involved. If you want to know how or who to talk to, then we're definitely there to sort of say, look, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a good way to start, talk to these people. It's partly down to the training partly down to the sort of technique, but also about the, the way equipment is designed, um, way it is staged, 
But also, if you want different people to come watch your shows, you need to put those people on stage. You need to reflect who you want in the audience on stage. And that, that comes down to gender, age, ethnicity, disability, non-disability. You know, if you, if you, that's one of the things I learned very, very early on with Extraordinary Bodies, the first show we made in Exeter. I saw a completely different audience than I'd seen before for any of our Soap Bichu shows. And that's because we provided access. We provided BSL and audio description. And we, we also had different people on stage. So they could, people could see themselves on stage. So they kind of felt comfortable what would you say your hopes are for the future of circus? <laughs> that it, it keeps, I, I think that it doesn't get stuck. I think it needs to keep checking in on itself and, and evolving. Yeah, I think the things that we remember, you know, like when our chaos came in with something completely different, we were like, wow, that's, you know, and then that became a norm for a while. And then something else came, but I think we need to keep, we need to keep having new influences and new ideas coming in to refresh it. I think that's what I hope. You know, I don't. I hope it doesn't look the same as it as it does today in the future. You know, I hope it keep moves on. Yeah, yeah, that's the exciting thing about. I think that's the most exciting thing about about circus. It always changes, constantly changing its clothes. You know. Cool. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about at all? I mean, I think the one thing to say though that circus is incredibly circus art is incredibly resourceful and entrepreneurial, and I think the way we're going to get out of this is to is to make sure that we really use all of those kind of entrepreneurial skills and 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 stick to stick together as an industry you know we we're really been good at that we don't have a circus association we don't have our overriding governing body we don't have anything like that you know we are a big family and community but we don't have any support structures that theater have or dance has so we have ourselves that's basically what we have so yeah we've got to make the best of that so stick with it, I reckon. Try and stick with it. But yeah, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> pull together. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much. That was really interesting to hear about, yeah, your whole journey through circus. So thanks. <laughs> so hi, I'm Billy Orwin, and uh, you're listening to uh, Not My Monkeys podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Rosie's just gone outside to make a snow monkey, so I thought I'd just tell you about a project of hers. She draws these great little juggling cartoons and she's turned them into stickers, which you can buy. They make a great little gift for someone else, great thing to send in the post, um, or a great treat to buy for yourself. They're going for super cheap at the moment, so get on it quickly while you can. Um, if you go on Instagram and the page is at juggling stickers, um, and if you're struggling to find it, go on the Not My Monkeys podcast page um, and I'll do a post about it on there as well. Okay, shh, don't tell her. Whoa, that was a really good interview, Ruby. Well done. Yeah, thank you very, very much. As <laughs> as usual. Gosh, you're so enigmatic. Oh, it's like <laughs> I told you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like that was written in the script for me. <laughs> you two have good chemistry, though. I enjoyed it. You two, you've both got a both got a away with words. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. One interesting life he's had as well. How. Mm. How weird to just have almost uh, fallen into a lot of situations that have led him to where he is now, which is running one of like the biggest circus companies in our country. It's like a, yeah, yeah, some good pretty, good pretty stories cool. in there, definitely. And then um, it's interesting to hear about sort of this year and how that's mm-hmm. how that's affected our industry and even the bit people in the, with the biggest companies. And then yeah, mm-hmm. his hopes for the future. He left us mm-hmm. with some some good messages, I reckon. Yeah. It's good to 
good to look at how the year's been and good to look forward as well. That's what it's all about. Indeed. <clears throat> Rosie, should we pull a cracker? I would love to pull a cracker. How do you know how much I love crackers? I will definitely pull one. We're going to get through <laughs> this box so fast. You ready? Here we go. Go! We're going to waste a lot of paper. Yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh. Bits of paper everywhere. And it's glittery as well. Oh, the environment. Okay, whatever. Here's the joke. Ready. Um, <laughs> why... Hang on. Why did the circus have to stop using balloons? I don't know. <laughs> the, the rate of inflation <laughs> kept going up. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if I like financial oh, jokes. Are... <laughs> <laughs> financial. Whoa, I've really enjoyed the cracker jokes in this show. They sure are yep. funny. Thank you. I think so too. Absolute top quality comedy there. Um, I know that crackers are obviously known as a Christmas thing and we're trying to be... Mm-hmm secular winter holiday special here but Mm. actually they haven't always been a christmas thing what crackers aren't what you talking about ruby (laughs) well that's wild do you know the history of crackers or something and you're going to regale us with a brief story of it now that is exactly (laughs) what's going to happen happen? (laughs) oh my god i'm so excited (laughs) so in 1845 to 1850, mm-hmm. around then, uh, there was a sweet maker called Tom Smith, and he'd seen kind of these French sweets, uh, which were like almonds wrapped in pretty paper, um, on a visit to Paris. And so he came back and he tried to mm-hmm. sell those sweets like that, you know, like in the little wrappers. And I believe they call them bonbons. <laughs> that is the one, yeah, la bonbon. Yes, okay, I'm thinking <laughs> of the right thing. And. Um, yeah, he put like a little motto or riddle inside with the sweet, but they didn't Aww. sell very well. It didn't quite work um, oh. until he came That's up with the shame. idea of putting in some fireworks <laughs> on a very what? small scale. So it made a bang when you'd like pull it apart. And that's how the kind of cracker thing came about. Ah, Now, I've heard that someone was watching like a fire and the fire cracked and like, you know, mm. how they sort of crackle and stuff. And that's kind of where... Uh, it came from is that even true that is a um, i don't know for sure if it's true or not but it is that is something that people say yeah that Mm -hmm. he was sat in front of his fire and he became inspired by Mm -hmm. the sparks and the crackles that were coming out of the fire but it's hard to know if that was actually kind of a marketing ploy or like just a nice story to make people like it um Mm -hmm. if it's one thing the victorians loved it's just romanticizing (laughs) story to go with whatever they wanted (laughs) Exactly. And so when it first started, something I thought was really cool was they had like lots of different themed crackers. So there were ones for ah. uh, bachelors and spinsters or single men and women where they would put false teeth and wedding rings inside. Um, they had like mm-hmm. ones for the suffragettes, ones for war heroes, ones for special occasions yeah. like the coronations. The royal family had them and they even had really expensive crackers known as the millionaires crackers. And that would have a solid silver box with a piece of gold jewelry inside it so yeah they had wow. all these so they, themed they ones. had a cracker for every theme of, of your day like whatever you wanted but the only ones that have stuck around are the christmasy ones it's christmas yeah fascinating well now we've made our very own circus one so we hope you've enjoyed them throughout yeah. the show circus and if one. anyone Obviously, wants to... quality quality humor <laughs> is what was involved <laughs> and if anyone wants to patent circus christmas crackers mm-hmm. and pay us for that idea 
please don't go please please, please do. do go ahead <laughs> but yeah do. so the christmas one is the one that stuck around because the victorians loved christmas like we were saying earlier about we pantomime indeed. they loved kind of commercializing it into that way <laughs> ruby will you pour a cracker with me as soon as the last one <laughs> i will that is a great idea oh thank you here we go here we go yeah convincing pull noise <laughs> using all my fabulous muscles that I have that I use on the trapeze to now pull a tiny cracker <laughs> that was ah, me doing an is. impression of you by the way <laughs> I see that was flawless <laughs> I've got so many cracker hats on my head right now I've got like eight stacked up on my head that stack is pretty and they're delicate as well they could waft away at any time <laughs> in but a if slight they do, you Christmas turn it breeze. into a juggling scarves routine that'll be great <laughs> Okay, Rosie, mm. I, do you know what? I have uh-huh. a lot of respect for stilt walkers. Why? <laughs> They're just someone I always look up to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that, folks, is your last cracker of the podcast. Thank what God it's fun. over. <laughs> I loved pulling those Christmas crackers. That was my favourite thing that I've done today. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. And, and it is also, can I point out, Ruby, our our last episode of the series. It is our last ever episode. Um, not our well, last ever. No, not our last ever. <laughs> it is the last episode of series one. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you so, so much if you have been listening along with us or supporting us on social media or on Patreon. And it, it does really mean a lot. Um it's been a cool year. Yes, we started this project about a year ago and we've learned so much along the way and made so many great connections with people in the circus world and we feel mm. like we have brought um, a whole bunch of information to others uh, who are curious about circus or passionate about circus as well. Mm. We are going to take a little bit of a break before we start our next series, but just keep an eye on our social media. That's where you'll see we're putting things like interviews or like maybe an Instagram live or some book reviews like we were doing just a few weeks ago. So yeah. check us out and then we'll be back for our second series soon. Yeah. So happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe and we'll catch up with you in 2021. Oh, Ruby, I almost forgot I got you a present. <gasps> a present? Ooh, <laughs> what did you yeah, get me? <laughs> here you go, here you go. Open it, open it, open it. Oh, oh wow. It's a... <laughs> Trapeze. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I got you, you a present. I know how much you is love that... <laughs> trapeze, so I got you a trapeze. Except Isn't it's a nice? dance trapeze, which is the wrong oh. kind. Mm, well, I, I tried my best. You got I, me something though, right? Because it's actually I did. also my my birthday as well, so I do definitely need a present. Yeah. Birthday and look. Christmas. Oh, what's it gonna be? What's it gonna be? Oh, you got me three small juggling balls of yeah, the little beanbag ones, <laughs> measured weight <laughs> and size. Wow! Yeah. And look at them; they're each they're four panels of the primary colours. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> Thank you for that, Ruby. I will most I certainly be using these professionally. Exactly, mm, is what I needed. Well, <laughs> what a befitting end to our 2020 <laughs> Christmas! <laughs> what an anticlimactic ending! <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to the last episode of Series 1 of Not My Monkeys podcast. We hope you had fun listening. We've loved making it. We would love to hear what you thought about it as well. So please stay in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram. So that's at Not My Monkeys podcast. And on Twitter, we are at Not My Monkeys pod. Uh, so just send us an email at notmymonkeyspodcast at gmail.com if you prefer as well. Just, you know, inform us of cool things you want to hear about or fun circus stories maybe or ideas for the show or if you maybe want to be involved in some way, let us know. Yep, and you can also check out our website, which is notmymonkeyspodcast.com. That's notmymonkeyspodcast.com, uh, where we post information and links about our guests, uh, what we talked about each episode, along with the transcripts, so you can see sort of extra bits of info the stuff that we've mentioned and if you're a fan of the podcast it would be amazing if you'd consider supporting us on patreon that's where you get to choose an amount to donate each month and it all goes to help making the podcast happen yep your support really does make the podcast possible and if you join the five pound tier so that's five pounds a month you'll be added to our mailing list which means you'll get to be the first to find out when the new series is going to be released Mm. <laughs> well if you can't afford it then please just give us some likes and shares reviews and ratings it all helps and it helps others find out information and things about things in that know. so you know it helps everybody yep and tell people word of mouth is the only advertising that we can afford at the moment so we really really appreciate it if you like an episode or you think that someone you know might find it interesting um, do recommend us to them and send send them our way subscribe and keep an eye on our socials to get involved and find out about what's coming up thanks so much for listening guys bye bye